Church, we have been walking uh, through this book called The Story now for 22 weeks. That's a long time. 22 weeks we have been walking and, uh, and, and we've been waiting. I want to remind you, this, this is just an abridged version of the Bible. It's segments of Scripture put in chronological order. And what we found as we studied the Bible this way is we've been able to see kind of the big picture. It's helped really a lot. I mean, guys, we spent 21 weeks in the Old Testament. It really helped kind of clear some of those muddied waters, some of those places where you, you felt like, well, I'm not sure, when, when, when was this prophet? What, what king was he during? All that kind of stuff. So it's brought all those things together. And what we found studying the Bible this way is that everything was pointing, everything in the Old Testament was pointing to one person who is to come. One person who is to come uh, with, with a special task to bring us back to God. And this one person is going to crush the head of the great antagonist of the story, Satan, uh, our, our enemy, and, uh, and that, that's been the deal. And so the story to this point has had some, some other stories within it. And we, we like to call those movements. So there's been, we've studied two movements in the story. Now, if you still have your bookmark, and I hope that you do, um, those movements are, are here in the different colors. And so the very first movement was the story of the garden. It's kind of the orangish color on your bookmark. And it lasted all of one week for us as we covered Genesis 1 through 11 all in one week. And that's the story of the garden, the story of creation. Now, for the last 20, 20 weeks, we have been in this kind of this blue section and that is the story of Israel. And last week, when we finished kind of with the book of Malachi, uh, the story of Israel came to an end. And remember the story of Israel, everything in the story of Israel was pointing to this one who is coming to bring us back to God. And now this morning, finally, Jesus is here. And, and this morning, we're going to meet him, we're going to know him, his name is Jesus, uh, he's going to be the solution to this great sin problem, and so this, this section here, kind of in maroon, is where we are now, it's movement three, or it's the third story within the greater story of God, and here's what we learn in uh, movement three, okay, that Jesus has left the upper story to come down into our lower story and to be with us, and to provide the way for us to be made right with God, okay, through faith in Christ's work on the cross, we can now overturn the curse of sin brought on by Adam's choice, and we can have an intimate, life-giving relationship with God. All right? That's where we are. Join me in a word of prayer. Thank you, brother. Father, we love you, and we are so grateful for your great gift of your son, Jesus Christ. So glad that we get to celebrate him today celebrate his birth today. I pray now by the power of your spirit that you would let us see it in a new light. Holy Spirit, we want to invite you now to come and to be our teacher and to be our guide, to take your place in our pulpit and to teach us your words that they might change our hearts. Mold us and make us into your image. Jesus, change us so that we might be more like you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, I cannot tell you um, how often it happens, but it happens a whole lot, that somebody will say to me, man, your boys look just like you. Uh, I get it all the time. I get it all the time. I asked Cole this week, I said, do people say that to you a lot, that you look a lot like your dad? He goes, oh my gosh, they say it all the time, dad. It drives me crazy. Um, and it's always weird for me, uh, because I, I look at Cole and I go, yeah, he kind of looks a little bit like me. Um, but but the, it's all three of them, all three of them. And they have such unique personalities. They have different styles. They dress differently. They like to do different things. And, and yet, people always say, man, they, they look just like you. And, and what they're saying is this, really, is they're saying, listen, when... When I look at them, 
I know that they came from you, right? When I look at them, I know that they came from you. Well, guys, I'm in John chapter 1 this morning. And if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to to open them up. And what we're going to see about this Jesus is that when people look at him, they're going to know that he has come from God. And so I'm in John chapter 1. If you've got your copy of the story, it's on page 309, but I want to warn you, I'm going to read John 1, 1 through 18. Some of those verses aren't in the story. So, so it's okay, you'll, you'll find them eventually. But I'm in John chapter 1, reading verse 1 through 18. And it says this, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light, so that through him all men might believe. Now he himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. It shifted gears now back to this word that became flesh. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out saying, This was he of whom I said he comes after me. He who has come after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace we have all received one blessing of, uh, after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God the one and only who is at the Father's side has made him known. Of course, Matthew and Luke's accounts, which we read this week in the story, tell us how all this transpired. They're the ones that tell you how this happened, how the Word became flesh. And uh, of course, we find that, that, that God does this by continuing the plan that He'd already started. And in fact, God basically, uh, when, you, when you read the accounts, uh, the other gospel accounts, God basically just picks up the plan where he ended in the book of Malachi. In fact, the book of Malachi stops right here. This is the last thing that God speaks, uh, and, and then he won't speak again for 400 years. But this is the last thing he says. He says, see, I'm going to send the prophet of Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day that the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. And, and so after 400 years of silence, an angel of the Lord shows up to a priest named Zechariah, and, and his wife is well long in years, and his parents and the angel of the Lord says to Zechariah, Behold, you're going to have a kid, and he's going to be that guy. He's going to be that guy. Listen to what he says. This is what he tells him in, in Luke um, chapter 1. He says, And he, this is your son, you're going to name him John. That's the John that we just read of here that's going to come before Jesus. It's going to pave the way for Jesus. He said, You're going to name him John, and he's going to go before the Lord. And in the spirit of power of, of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And so God says, Listen, I've still got a plan. I'm still here. I'm still talking. And here's my plan. 
All right? Listen, your son, now here I'm showing up, Zechariah, your son is going to be this guy. His name is going to be John. He's going to have the spirit of Elijah all over him. And this is what I was talking about back back in, in Malachi, right? Of course, that's not the only visit we had from an angel this week. An angel of the Lord also appears to a young woman named Mary. A virgin that is pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a carpenter. And, uh, and, and the angel of the Lord has good news for her too. Hey, you're going to be pregnant too, Mary. Only a little different. Joseph is not going to be the father, right? The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child that you give birth to will actually be called the Son of God. Wow. And she's to call him Jesus because he will save people from their sins. And when people see him, when people see him, they will recognize that he indeed is the solution to their sin problem. And the people will call him Emmanuel, God with us. Now, the rest of the story this week was basically the Christmas story in February, wasn't it? We found Jesus there just as, as we thought he would be. He was lying in a manger wrapped in, 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 in pieces of cloth, right? Hark the herald, angels sing. The shepherds went to go tell it on the mountain. The three, ki- the, the three um, kings of Orient are actually wise men that show up probably a couple years later. Herod freaks out because he wants to remain king, kills all of the babies, baby boys that are two years and younger, Jesus and his family escape. Eventually they will come back. And then we see Jesus at 12, and he is not your typical 12-year-old. His family, a large group, not just his immediate family, a large group travels to Jerusalem, and they, they go back. And you can imagine your family, would, you'd be hanging out with aunts and uncles and second aunts, and, and suddenly they get way out and they can't find Jesus. By the time they get back to the temple, it's been three days, and his response is, didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? It is an extraordinary opening to this third story within a story. It really is. It's an amazing opening to this third story within a story. So I want to tell you three things I believe we can learn here in this new movement of God in his great story, okay? And here's the first thing. God makes himself known through his word. There was a lesson that we're supposed to get at this point after studying the Bible together for 21 weeks, it should be this. God makes himself known through his word, right? The Bible is a precious gift, my friends. And one of the reasons it's precious, uh, it, you, to, to, to understand how precious it is, you have to understand who God is, right? And, and, and I, I always begin with the statement, God owes us nothing. God owes us nothing. God is, is the creator. He is the sustainer of all things. God owes us nothing, right? He gets to make the rules because he made everything. That's kind of how it works. And so we start here. God is all powerful. God is sovereign. God is righteous. God is just. God is good. And, and this God who is all these things made us in his image, but he owes us nothing. And yet, yet in spite of that, he has chosen to reveal himself to humanity. To reveal himself to men and women that will often disregard his revelation and actually do the opposite. God has chosen to reveal himself to them anyway. And, 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 and this, is, this is huge. What we have in the Bible is we have this God who owes us nothing, choosing out of his good and perfect will to make himself known to us despite who we are. And God does that by speaking. By speaking. By the way, that's how we reveal ourselves to people too. Words. Words. 
And so, so the Bible, the whole Old Testament that we've studied so far, it, it's a collection of God's words to humanity. And in his words, we get to know him better. Let me, let me give you a basic illustration, right? Um, I have a mailman. I have a mailman, and, and I, I tell you, observationally, just from the outside, I could tell you a few things. He seems very polite. He's always smiling. Uh, he's very punctual. Uh, he seems to be very organized, because I get my mail, my neighbor gets his mail, this neighbor gets, you know what I'm saying? I mean, seems to be every, I, mean I, I know those things just, like, and he seems to work for the United States Postal Service. Either that or the same time of day, every day, he steals a truck from the post office and, and just for free comes and delivers, I, I don't know. That's observationally, but when I talk to him, I find out some new things, right? I find out his name is Joe. Joe likes to ride motorcycles, and Joe is a family man. See, when, when, I, when I use words, and he uses words, what words do is they, they remove the veil. They lower the shields. They let people in, and they show us who people really, really are. And the same is true with God. And so the Old Testament is really this. It's really God removing the veil. It's really God lowering the shields. It's really God inviting mankind in to begin to see his heart and who he really is. And God does that through his words. Don't believe me. Check this out. Uh, We began way back in the day, you guys may remember, with a guy named Abraham. In the story of Israel, God makes a special promise to Abraham. Genesis 15.1, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham. Abraham gets to know God because God's word came to him. God, in a very special way, revealed himself to Abraham. Same thing's going to happen to Moses. Moses. I forgot to get the mic in there. Moses. In the burning bush, right? And then it says Moses talked with God face to face. And and Moses knew God in a very special way. Uh, The same thing happens with Samuel. Uh, The word of the Lord came to Samuel. Then it happens again with Solomon. And the next one. Uh, then the word of the Lord came to Solomon. Then it happens with Elijah in 1 Kings 18.1, right? Uh, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Then it happens with Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1.4. The word of the Lord came to me. And then it happens with Isaiah in Isaiah 38.4. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. It happens again in Ezekiel in Ezekiel 6.1. The word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel says. And it happens over and over and over and over and over again. That is the story of the Old Testament. The word of God coming to man. God revealing himself, choosing. Not because he owes us anything, because he doesn't. That's the glory of the Bible. That's what, that's what makes this amazing. God doesn't owe us anything, yet he chooses out of his good and perfect will to say, I want you to know me. And that happens through his word. God reveals him, himself, his plans. And so that happened with Malachi. God speaks to Malachi, says, Malachi, I want to let you in on my plan. Now, God didn't necessarily speak to Malachi. We don't have any, any record that God said, hey, Malachi, by the way, I'm going to be silent for about 400 years. Listen, Malachi, I, I want to let you in on my plan. I'm going to reveal part of this plan of mine to you. Uh, 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 one is coming. A person is coming before the person. And a person is coming before the person. And the person that's coming before the person, the one that's going to bring you back to God, um, and he's going to come like Elijah. And he's going to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and children to their fathers. And now God shows up again and he speaks again. This time he's going to reveal himself to a priest. You say, Zechariah, listen, there was a conversation I had about 400 years ago with a, with a prophet named Malachi. Do you remember that? And Zechariah's probably going, hmm, it's been a little while since I read Malachi, Lord. And God says, hey, it's okay, but your son's going to be that guy. Your son's going to be that guy. I want to let you in on my plan. I want to reveal to you my plan. I want to reveal to you my plan, not just, not just the whole plan, but my plan for your life. Your son's going to be that guy. Wow. Wow. 
God speaks, and in every word, he makes himself known to us. Though he owes us nothing, he chooses out of his good and perfect will to make himself known to us. It is pretty stinking amazing. It's the first thing I want you to see. Second thing I want you to see, ready? Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God. God makes himself known to us through his word. Jesus is the word of God. And he is the ultimate revelation of God unto us. Our words reveal to others our hearts. They reveal to others our minds, what we're thinking, right? Um, But I don't know about you, there is a problem with me and words. (laughs) I often misinterpret them. I often read into them things that are not there. (laughs) Ever happened with a text message or an email? Ever been there? Come on. How many of you, you've, you've sent a text message or an email, and it turned into something it was never meant to be, right? Somebody read into it, and they thought you were being mean or short or, or crass, or, or, or you received something from somebody, and you're like, oh my gosh, they're mad at me. And it becomes like this huge event. And why does it become a huge event? It becomes a huge event. I'm going to tell you why. Because you couldn't see the person that was speaking. Because you didn't know the heart of the person as they said it. And that distance creates a problem when it comes to interpretation. You couldn't see that when they sent you that message, there was a tear in their eye or a smile on their face. And listen, God's not surprised by that. God's not surprised that you would have a a problem. In fact, I'm going to tell you, that is one of the reasons that Jesus had to come. It is not the only reason, but it is in part at least one of the reasons why Jesus comes. Hear me, Jesus definitely came to live the perfect life that we could not. He definitely came to die uh, an atoning death on the cross for our sins. He came to do that. He came to be the perfect one that we couldn't, to die in our place for our sin so that we might have life for all those that believe in him. He came to do that. But hear me, he also came in part to show us who God really is. Jesus came to show us who God really is because God knew that we would misinterpret And so God wanted to put a picture before us to say, listen, you have read my letter, you've read my text, you've read my email, but I think that you are misunderstanding what I'm trying to say. See, you've read the do's and the do nots, and you guys have this image that I am like a a mean principal with a paddle just waiting to get you. And so he sends Jesus. And Jesus shows up and he eats with sinners. And, and he goes to the least of these. And then he, he with, with nails in his wrists and in his feet, begins to suffocate in agony. And as he does, he does not curse people that put him there. Rather, he cries out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they've done. Father, forgive them, for they know not the cost of sin. Forgive them, for they know not how holy and perfect you really are and the demands of your love. Father, forgive them, for they know not how much you really love them. And now, when we see this Jesus, it suddenly changes the whole story. And now, when we read those rules, looking upon this cross, we see that the rules of a loving Father that does not want us to be injured, that does not want us to be separated, that does not want us to be alone in a world with a very real, powerful enemy. Suddenly, all of the words of the Bible begin to make sense when they are seen through the cross of Christ. And now we know God has come to rescue me. 
God has come to restore me. God has come to break every chain that binds me. God has come not just to lift my head, but also to lift my guilty conscience, to say unto my spirit, you are free. You are free. You are free. And anyone that I set free is free indeed. Jesus changes everything. The Word who was there in the beginning. The Word who was with God and is God, according to Philippians, considered equality with God nothing to be grasped. And so he stepped out of heaven and into humanity. God in the flesh. God that we can see. God that we can look at. And because we can see him, we know what these words are really all about. We finally have a perfect vision of the Father. That's why Jesus can look at Philip, by the way, and say, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen God. That's John 14, 9, right? Anyone who has seen me, Philip, has seen the Father. And friends, that's a way better representation than my kids are of me or I was of my dad. Because Jesus isn't just the Son of God. He is God. So I'm going to tell you, words matter. Words matter. The Bible is all about God trying to reveal himself to mankind. And Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God. He is the word become flesh so that you and I will know the true heart of God. So that we will not misinterpret it any longer. All right? Third thing I'll leave with you, and uh, this is a big deal. Jesus is proof that God wants to live in us. Jesus is proof that God wants to live in us. So the big story of the nation of Israel, the 20 weeks we spend together, um, the 20 weeks we spent together studying that nation of Israel, the big story was, was this God uh, who meets with, with a guy named Moses, right? Begins with Abraham, but eventually with Moses. And he's up on a mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. And he's, he's setting up a system by which he can come and live at the center of their lives so that he can be their God and they can be his people. That was, that was kind of the, the grand story and then where it went from there. This is another example of just how closely this God wants to be involved in the lives of the people that he's made. And, and, and that's why the angel of the Lord shows up and basically says to Mary, Mary, um, God's going to come and live in you. Just imagine the gravity of that conversation. Hey Mary, God wants to come and live in you. God is, God's going to be born in, in you. He's, he's going to grow inside of you. God wants to grow inside of you. God, um, as, as every uh, mother that's ever given birth has, could, could testify to, God is going to change you forever. Right? He's going to move some things around. Yeah, some of you ladies are like, you ain't lying. You ain't lying. And some men, we, we, listen, this is a lesson the ladies know, but unfortunately some of us haven't figured out. God wants to be born in you and he wants to make changes. He wants to move some things around, right? Marry God in you. And by, I, I would just submit to you, this is the reason why Mary is important, by the way. Mary's not important because she was sinless. There's nothing in text to suggest that Mary was sinless. Nothing. You can read the Bible cover to cover, you're just not going to find it. 
Mary's not important because she was sinless, because she wasn't. Mary's important because of her response to this, to this uh, revelation from God. And her response is yes. Yes. She basically says to God, yeah, be born and me. Be born and me, right? Yes, Lord, be, be born in me. And, and, and Jesus would, would say to Nicodemus, a, a guy that comes to him in the middle of the night, and he says, Lord, what would, it, what it have, what would it have to do to be saved? How, how do I enter the kingdom of God? And Jesus is going to say to Nicodemus, well, Nicodemus, um, you've got to be born again. He, he says to him basically, like, you have to be born of the Spirit. He, he's, what he means is the Spirit of God, uh, God has to be born in you, Nicodemus. God in you, Nicodemus. And friends, the story from this point on is the same for each of us. God wants to be born in you. That's the truth of the matter. Nicodemus says, what does it take to have eternal life? What does it take for me to be saved, to enter the kingdom? Many have that question today, and the the answer is the same. This Jesus stepped out of heaven and into humanity because he longs to be born in you. The Spirit of God wants to be born in you. He wants you to become a child of God. That's the goal. That's the heart. This is the heart of our Father. That's why Mary is important, okay? So what do we do with that revelation? That this is what God wants to do. He wants to live inside of us, all right? Give you three things to pack up and go home. Number one, uh, my first challenge to you is to get to know God, okay? That's what this is. Change the way you view the Bible. Okay, this is my challenge to you. Some of you have been reading it like a checklist. It's not it. It's not that you're not supposed to do the things God tells you to do and not to do the things that He tells you not to do. You are supposed to do those things, but if you read it like a checklist, you miss the heart of it. The heart of it is that He loves you and He wants you to live and to walk in freedom. And the freedom of his spirit in particular, which is, you know, love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. And God knows that you don't get those things through certain channels or methods. So God wants you to be blessed. That's what we call those things. That's not talking about material or money. But he wants you to be blessed in him. He wants you to have a life where you actually have a peace that passes all understanding. That you can go through the most hard, difficult circumstances in life and yet not lose all your stuff. Because you know that God's with you. God wants to do those things in you. Uh, and you've got to get to know that. So, so you've got you've to see this book a little differently, okay? So that's challenge number one. Some of you just got to get back in the Bible. Uh, we, could, we could ask right now how many of you, you know, how many, how many of you have read the Bible in the last five days? How many of you have read it in the last 24 hours? I just don't want to do that. I don't want to put people on the spot. But I, I know in America... We have more of these than anyone else in the world, and yet we use them a whole lot less. That's just what our studies show us, right? So we've we got to get in the Word. As you read it, I want to challenge you to ask those questions. God, what does this reveal to me about your character? What, is it, what, 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 were, what are you trying to show these people? If you're reading the Old Testament, which we've just spent 21 weeks doing, what, what are you trying to show? That, when I get to the New Testament, I get to Paul. Paul's letters seem so instructional. Yeah, but they were instructional for a certain group of people in a certain situation in a certain church. Does this apply to me in my situation, right? Just, God, I, I want to know your heart. What's the heart behind this? Show it to me, Lord, okay? And so, so that's step one. Number two, uh, and I think really the biggest, guys, is to fix your eyes on Jesus. 
Fix your eyes on Jesus. 1 Corinthians 13, um, which is the famous love chapter, right? It has some really powerful statements. If you haven't read the end of 1 Corinthians 13, there's about four or five verses there that will rock your world forever. Um, they, they really do. And one of the things it says in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, it says, now we see but a poor reflection, but then we will see face to face. It goes on, now I know in part, but then I'll, be, then, then I'll know in full as I'm fully known, you know. Uh, this, this poor reflection, and I, I just want to confess as a pastor, uh, we've done this. Sometimes we've painted really bad pictures of Jesus. Painted really bad pictures of God. Sometimes we haven't um, interpreted the text message or the email very well. Sometimes um, we in pulpits have, have preached as if God was that principal just waiting to give you a swat. Sometimes we have preached like he was Santa Claus and he was keeping a list of naughty and nice and he's only going to bless the nice ones and the naughty ones are getting cold. Sometimes we've preached God like he was a Coke machine, you know, and you just, just punch your button and you'll get whatever you want. I mean, I mean, there's so many poor representations. There's so many poor images of God and so what I'm going to challenge you to do is look through all that junk and look to Jesus. Because he's the ultimate picture of who God is. He's the ultimate picture of the heart of God. And in all of these words should be interpreted through Jesus. All of them. Okay? That's the lens by which we read the Bible. And so I'm going to encourage you to fix your eyes on Jesus. Jesus is the perfect picture And last thing this week, I think that's the challenge of this text, is a simple prayer. Something like, yes. Yes, Lord. Be born in me. Be born in me. Some of you here today, you've never done that. You don't even know what that looked like. That scares you to death. The thought of... God being born in you. What is that? Is that like the alien movie where something starts moving around in the stomach and a hand breaks out? I mean, what is, what is it? No, it's not that. But he will move some things around. He will grow in you. He will change you forever. You will be different for the rest of your life. Most importantly, you'll be a child of God. Somebody says, Pastor, how do I get to heaven? How do I get to heaven? By heaven coming to live inside of you. That's how you get to heaven. You have to believe in Jesus. You have to ask him to, to come into your life. You have, to, you have to become a child of God. And that, that means you have to be spiritually born again. That's hard. I've had the privilege of watching somebody in their 50s. You know, so I want to be born again. I want this thing to happen to me. That doesn't happen a lot. Because by the time you get to 50, you've got it all figured out. My 13-year-old acts like he's 50. God be born in me. Some of you, um, maybe for you, you know, you're a Christian, but there's no life in your marriage. There's no joy in your walk. I don't know. So maybe it's, it's a prayer like, Lord, be born again in this place. I need it. I need it more than anything else. Join me in a word of prayer this morning. Father, uh, as we study your plan, not your plan B, not your plan C, as we study your plan, Jesus, we learn some amazing truths. (laughs) We learn that he has come to save us. 
And we learn that he has come that we can see you. Lord, somebody here today needs you to be born in their life. Just right now in this moment, help us search our hearts just for a second. Just for a second. In in, in the stillness of this room, let us search our hearts. And Lord, if there is anyone here that knows that they need you, it's like Nicodemus. They came today, they didn't even know what they were coming to or what they were getting into, but they know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they have never been born again. They haven't had their sin problem solved. But they can today. This is the heart of the story. You want to live in our lives. You want to live in our lives. So if you're here today and that's you and that describes you, every head is bowed right now, every eye is closed. But if that describes you and you say, just pastor today, I want that. I I want... I want to become a child of God today. Would you just raise your hand where you are? Just say, I, I, want, I want that. I want God to be born in me. Amen. Amen. Anybody else? Just be born in me. Let's pray this very simple prayer together, okay? Nothing magic about these words. It's just the heart of what we've just studied, okay? Just say, dear God, here I am. I know I don't have much to give. But I pray today that you would be born in me. Please come into my life and take control. Change me from the inside out. Make me your child. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.